Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Inside the Squad. It is our first episode of the new year, 2019. So I hope we have a lot of good episodes for you in the time coming. Today's episode is going to be with Chief Patrick Flanley. He's been with the Lafayette Police Department for 24 years and he is working on his seventh year as chief. And we just chat with him about a recap of 2018 and what he envisions for 2019. So we have a really good conversation. Uh, we do have a couple people sitting in. Patty couldn't make it during this podcast, so Sean took her place. And we introduced Sean in the podcast, and we also have one of our new IT guys for the city, Ruben, joins us on this podcast. So, hope you enjoy. All right, and we're rolling. Chief, how you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you, Ian? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, before we get too far into this, we do have a couple uh, new individuals sitting in. Ruben, can you go ahead and introduce yourself as a green light on, buddy? Thank you. Uh, my name is Ruben Brenneman, and I am the network engineer here at the city of Lafayette. And I wanted to sit in and uh, get to know what goes on in these podcasts. So thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate you being here. Welcome, Ruben. And Patty couldn't make it today, but we have somebody just as good. Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself, buddy. Hi, I'm Sean. I work in the marketing department. Yeah, just as good as Patty. Correct, correct. <laughs> just let LT know that. Yeah. No. Um, oh, that hurts. No, we appreciate you guys being here, and uh, feel free to chime in, ask the chief questions, and uh, yeah, you're part of the family today. So, chief, first, uh, first thing I want to ask you is, how long have you been chief? Well, before I answer that question, oh, I want to say Sean's a part. He he's a part of our team every day, not That's true. just today. That's true. I met the, on the podcast today. He know he, he right. knows I, I got no I below. understand. I got it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going on. I'm working on year seven as chief here at LPD. So I've been here for uh, going on 24 years. Wow, seven Good years. Ride. Has it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know I. I'm not just saying this. I tell people this all the time that I do. Uh, I feel very fortunate in that I wake up every day and get to go to a job that I look forward to. I've never had a day in my 24 years, regardless of whether it was 14 years in a row on midnights or or what role I was playing. I've never had one of those days where I woke up and just felt like I didn't want to go to work today. Well, that's good. Um, even on days that I was sick. Yeah. I still wanted to come to work. 24 years. It's a long, long, good career, right? LT, how long have you been on? 17. 17. Oh, that's right. Is it next month, 17, right? No, no. Anniversary? No, I, no, I hit it in January. Oh, you did? 17, January. Yeah, the 14th. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Chief, All right, well, Chief was my uh, sergeant back on evenings. Really? Back in the day, yeah. Well, just a little tidbit. I rode with you, LT, when I was a recruit for a day. Yeah. And you're like, make sure you use all your vacation. So it was getting towards the end of the year, and you're so excited about being a new cop. You're like, oh, I'm not, I don't need to use my vacation. And you're like, no, no, you need to use your vacation. <laughs> you know, like, I, oh, I'll yeah. go home tonight. <laughs> I, I remember as as a as a young police officer, I was with uh, John Wells, and I passed on a family vacation. My wife and kids went uh, down south to Florida, and I'm like, nope, can't take vacation. I, I got to stay and uh, and and keep plugging along. And uh, you know, that's just the mentality that you have. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he, I remember Back him in the saying, day. "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Back my, my in the day. Though, uh, Back in the day. Seventeen years—that's a long time. That's a long time. Eleven for me. It was eleven. Back in August, I got a few more years left. 
So you passed the decade mark. I did. Look good, feel good. That's what I like to say. A good time to also uh, maybe mention that we just gave uh, Steve Pierce his 20-year pin the yep, other day. Yep, absolutely. Our, yes. Long-term offices. Yeah. And uh, Officer Maxson just retired. We're getting into. We're getting past to where I want to go there, Chief. So real quick, real quick. Uh, thanks for being here. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule because uh, the first thing I thought we could touch on was retirements. So uh, we figured our conversation today could be a recap of 2018, you know, a bunch of topics on, on 2018, and then uh, cap it off with your vision of, of 2019. So uh, I guess to start off with, what are your thoughts just overall on 2018? Well, uh, it was a great year. It really was. It was busy. I think uh, we'll see some of the data coming out in the next few weeks about what uh, UCR numbers look like. Um, I don't want to give too much of a sneak peek. You're going to have to tell us what UCR is. Uh, Uniform Crime Reports. That's the standard form for reporting crimes and incidents uh, across the country without going into a whole lot of details. But that's that's really where uh, most agencies report under the UCR. There is a new standard that's that's coming out that agencies will begin reporting on in 2020. And that's it's called NIBRS. And that's and that stands for National Incident Based Reporting System. But it's uh, I think just a way to clean some of the some of the numbers up to, to give us more actionable information from data that we're capturing. Uh, the, the UCR has been around for, I think it's 70 or 80 years, maybe even a little bit longer. And so, so it's, that's, that's a system that's going to update it. But Okay. And maybe even just so I'm clear, it's a way of everything that happened as far as our response to calls and crime that's occurred. We take that data and we send it to the federal government, right? Is that crimes that are reported to us? Uh-huh. Uh, we report that in a systematic format to the FBI. Correct. And the okay. FBI is responsible for cataloging those. Okay. And the UCR is broken into two parts. They call it part one, part two. Part one would be your violent crimes. That's going to be homicide, robbery rape, uh, aggravated assaults, uh, arson, where your uh, part two crimes are going to be larcenies, uh, those types of things, uh, where nonviolent offenders or non, nonviolent offenses. And so it looks, you know, for us, we, we, we've been on a two-year trend of, of moving in the, what I would consider the right direction, meaning that our violent crimes are down uh, and our property crimes are down, violent crimes down uh, almost 20% over the last two years from, from 15 to 16 and 17. So we're, uh, you know, we'll see how that's going to trend here in, in two, in 2018 and our, our property crimes were down significantly also. Uh, and that's, I think that's important to note because, uh, every, I think it's not just us here in Lafayette or in, in Indiana, but we've, we have a significant problem with addiction uh, particularly involving heroin and methamphetamine, and those those types of uh, addiction issues uh, typically lead to uh, crimes, uh, not just property crimes, where people are looking for money and funds to to fuel addiction, uh, but also uh, in your violent crimes, your robberies and things where people get more desperate. And I think it's an I think for us, that's a that's a good sign to know that even though we're having some of these significant issues, even though 
Uh, Lafayette is a, is a very uh, thriving community, personally, uh, and from a business perspective, I think people are just really, really, uh, uh, they're coming to places like Lafayette, and Lafayette, I think, stands out in Indiana. And, and with that growth, sometimes you could expect to see rising numbers and you know we've kind of bucked that trend for now so that's uh, we've i think i think that's something that uh, all the members of our police department should feel proud of is that we're, we're absolutely i mean i've been here all my life and we are growing like crazy i mean the amount of businesses coming here the hotels they're building you know i'm like we need all these hotels and i've talked to a few you know hotel supervisors and whatnot and they're like there's need for it, and that's why they keep building it. Obviously, it's just it's just super interesting. But it's it's great for us, great for our city, great for our citizens. Bunch of jobs out there, and to know that crime is trending down is pretty awesome, and does say a lot for officers. So, well, and and I know we we weren't going to talk about crime today, but that or that wasn't going to be the main topic. But one thing I is is really important to note is uh, crime numbers are you know nebulous, and in that it can be. It can be sometimes a little misleading when you see crime is up or crime is down. I, I think it, what our mission here at LPD is to ensure that people feel safe moving freely about the city. Uh, and and that, that's what we're looking for. So, it, you know, whether numbers are going up or down, if people don't feel safe, then then we have work to do. And, and those are the things that we want to address. And that's why uh, podcasts like this and all the outreach and other things that we're doing, you know, really it's, it's designed to uh, – Engage citizens. Uh, let us let us know what what you're thinking. What you know what your concerns are. So if it's ten o'clock at night and you want to send your wife or your son or your daughter to the grocery store, you can send them without worrying about you know, are they uh, are they going to be safe or not. Uh, do you want to go for a walk around the block with your dog? Those types of things. And that's you know, that that's I think what we're really driving for is to make sure that people do feel safe and, and resoundingly uh, the feedback that we get from the public is that uh, people do feel safe. Yeah. And, and I think it's important. I always say this at my talks and when I'm talking to people is that we, we cannot do our job without the citizens, right? We, we need their help to make this city a, a good place. And that's why it's so important to have good relations. And um, it's just a good thing. I mean, Lafayette's a great city. I'm, I'm still here, yeah, and I'll be here for years to come, right? Part, the partnership's huge. That's the big piece of it. What about you, Sean? So you talk about like community outreach, and I know you did a lot in 2018 with like Coffee with a Cop, Shop with a Cop, um, Trunk or Treat. What expansions are? Or is there going to be any expansions in 2019 that you foresee with um, community outreach? Well, I think we just kind of want to double down on on the things that we've been doing already. Uh, I know Brian's got an exciting new program that he's going to kick off. That's another way to uh, engage uh, some of the young people in our community. But I wasn't going to do it this early, but the Foot Pursuit 2, April 13th, 2019 at SIA again. That's another way. Super successful last year. I'll plug it later as well. <laughs> well, And you should. You did an excellent job with that. And uh, we can, maybe we can tie that in when we talk about how do we keep officers uh, safe. But Sounds good. I think, you know, looking, looking at uh, some of our, you know, our goals for 2019 and, so, and some of the challenges that we do face, uh, we were mentioning retirements earlier. Uh, you know, last year we, we've had uh, eight retirements really in the last 
um, 10 months and we anticipate a few more coming up we're we're just in a it, we're in a cycle where um, you know for most people if you don't know the police officers once you work for 20 years you become vested in in the the police pension fund in the state of Indiana you can retire but it doesn't necessarily mean you can start drawing on your pension you have to be 52 years old before you can start drawing on your pension so if if you retire at 50 and move on to another career you could uh, we the the department expanded significantly in the early to mid 90s uh, when I got hired I think we had 80 81 officers on the department and now fast forward 24 years later the size of the city is pretty much doubled uh, we have uh, 148 sworn positions on our police department and that creates uh, some challenges and some growing pains we're at a time now where officers like myself could be could retire any day uh, doesn't mean that they will but uh, oftentimes police officers when they get into the into their early 50s and they reach that retirement age they do retire and uh, look for another career to head into uh, to head into the into the twilight so they can enjoy their retirement years uh, some officers choose to work 30 35 years and and retire and and not work after that but it's again it's that's just I think it's a personal preference and you know policing sometimes can be a young man's game especially when you're uh, wearing the uniform and you're and you're out on the street and uh, every everyone's going to make their own their own personal choices as to what's best for them and their family for us at the police department what that means is that we always have to be looking for new officers and really looking for the best officers and there's been a lot of media coverage recently there's been some uh, national coverage in in terms of uh, police hiring uh, recruitment and retention and some of the difficulties that uh, departments are facing indiana is right there with everybody else a lot of the major cities are, are facing uh, number shortfalls and we've talked about this before and i think we've addressed it on the podcast before but just the number of applications that are coming into police departments are significantly down and without really getting into all the reasons why that might be a good economy uh, maybe a, a decreased um, uh, perception on uh, the positive role that a police officer can play in communities there's there, there's a lot of things that play into it the reality the reality that we're faced with is low, lower number of applications and increasing numbers of openings where we used to have 100 to 200 applications for every one opening we might now get 10 to 20 applications and it, again this it warrants a little bit of follow-up on this because it's it's you know working as a police officer is not like um a lot of jobs where you maybe someone checks a couple of your references they look to see some of your work product think you might be a good fit they hire you being a police officer it requires a significant amount of background investigation people have you have to pass a, a, a written test you have to pass a physical fitness test uh, you have to go through uh, rigorous uh, interviews and uh, once you've made it past that point then there are further tests and further uh, exams one of those is a polygraph 
examination where we, where we delve into uh, character and integrity questions. Uh, again, the background investigation where we uh, we go way, way back. And, and what we're looking for is to find out uh, it, does a person have the right type of, of character, makeup, integrity, and have they demonstrated it over time? And uh, will we be able to trust them when we give them the authority that a police officer does have? And, and once you make it through all that, then you, then you go to our, our civil service uh, commission, our police merit commission, and they're the ones that actually hire police officers. We, we, you know, I, as the chief, I don't say you're hired. Uh, we, uh, we do that significant amount of work, and then we present these candidates to our merit board, and our merit board uh, does an interview and makes that decision. And then even then, once you're d through that process, uh, your application uh, goes to our our state pension fund, and you have to be accepted into that. Prior to going there, you have a physical and a psychological evaluation where we where we oftentimes will lose people in that part of the process. So it's a, the short answer to my long explanation. It's it's <laughs> not easy to be a police officer, and over ninety percent of applicants get screened out. Well, and just to add to that, we are hiring, by the way. So for those of you out there listening, if you're interested, we're hiring. If you want to be a police officer, fill out the application, let your friends know, let your family know. But, you know, to kind of back up a little bit with the retirements, it's not as simple as, hey, oh, he's retired and he's gone. I mean, not only are you losing a lot of experience, right? You're losing a lot of experience. Uh, because they might not just be – a lot of us here don't just play one role. I mean, we do multiple different roles, and so you're losing tons of experience. And uh, with that experience, now you have to find that applicant like you just, just spoke about. And, you know, we are doing background checks right now. I know I'm going – I'm doing a background check on an applicant, and uh, we do dig, dig deep. So if you are applying, be aware of that. Um, but – when you hire that new applicant, we finally get them hired on after that month, uh, several month process. You know, now you got training, and we're looking at at least at least the minimum of a year of training before that individual counts uh, towards our numbers on the street, right? And so you're you're losing a lot in our world when it comes to an officer retiring, and so I think that's important for people to know that it's not as simple as oh. He's hired and he fills that individual shoes. It doesn't. It's not that simple at all. You gonna say something, LT? No, I, I wasn't gonna necessarily comment on that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And there, there are so many uh, members of this agency who play a lot of different roles with different specialty units and things of that nature. Um, but you know, one of the things that you touched on, Chief, when it came to you know, the physical agility test and, you know, looking back in 2018, which I thought was kind of neat, if you want to kind of talk about an exciting new opportunity for our department and uh, maybe expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so um, we, we talked, a, we had, a, we did a three-part segment uh, last year on officer fitness and wellness, and I, I think uh, you can, you can go back and, and listen to that one, because Ian was fantastic in that podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, he's we'll talk about you soon, LT, and you he's, guys. He's Come on, glowing now. over here now. <laughs> he's glowing. Well, it's all, so what I, I mean, I think the realization that we're all coming to is that all these things are interconnected. And uh, that, that's, what's, that's what's really important. And Ian does make a good point. It's if if uh, someone retires today, it'll be 18 months before we have minimum of 18 months before we have somebody working 
to be able to fill that role uh, as a police officer because, you know, the way things work is, um, well, without going into all of that, that's really, it, it's, it's four to six months to find them, uh, do the backgrounds, get them hired at a minimum, and then you're looking at a minimum of 12 months of training. And then really even, uh, it's, you know, most national statistics have, have reflected that it's really about three years before you get to the point where y- uh, you feel like uh, an officer can work with with minimal supervision. Mm-hmm. So there's there's it's even even when an officer gets to the point where we they're released from our training program and they're working solo patrol, uh, there's still a lot of supervision that goes on with them, and there's still a lot of training and education that 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 we. Uh, are involved in to get them to that point. So it, it is, it's a long gap. And like you said, that's not even including specialty. So we don't want to lose people prematurely. We don't want to lose them to injury or to illness or anything like that. And so uh, we want our officers to be uh, safe and we want them to be well. And it, this is a very demanding and challenging job on, uh, on individuals and it, and it, will take its toll on people. And we know a lot more about this now than we did 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, and with knowledge comes the ability to make uh, decisions and, ch- and, and, and affect change that can, yeah, that can move us towards, a, I think, a position where officers are fit from the day that they, and what we like to say is we hire them healthy and we retire them healthy. And so they can they can move through their careers uh, with minimal interruption, uh, be productive and happy employees uh, in the workplace, and be uh, happy and healthy uh, outside of the workplace. So when they, you know, hopefully we don't lose that that uh, that knowledge and that expertise prematurely, and and that when officers do retire, they they go on to live uh, long, happy, healthy lives. And, and right now the national data is, uh, is not good. I mean, police officers' life expectancy is about um, anywhere between 15 and 20 years uh, below that of, of the national uh, population. That, and that's, that, that is, you know, that's significant. That's not something that anyone should look at and, uh, you know, discount or take lightly. So here at our agency, I mean, what that means is that you, we, we feel like um, if we can provide the right type of environment that will help uh, keep our officers engaged and, and aware of, of what their fitness and, and wellness levels are, then that can do nothing but uh, improve uh, the quality of their life, and that's what we're looking for. So we open that gym and... Uh, uh, January of last year, we've just finished up our uh, our first full year of having our own uh, nonprofit CrossFit affiliate. That was yeah. exciting, and it's been it's been game changing. You know, I'm I'm in there quite a bit, and the amount of officers that utilize the facility, CrossFit Blue Heart, by the way, that's what what our our affiliate's called. It's been it's life changing for a lot of them, you know. Um, providing them facility to where they have everything they need to train. It's convenient. They can go in there and, and do their thing and don't have to worry about you know anything else. Um, just I mean, more energy, losing weight, 
you know, just I think which rolls into that's the foundation, right? Fitness, nutrition, sleep, stress. If you can get those in balance, that's your foundation. And then everything else hopefully will snowball positive positively and, you know, you'll be more productive, not only in your personal life, but your your uh, your work life as well. And I've seen it. It's been it's been amazing on from my view. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, and that dovetails into the mental health part of it too. Correct. Us. You know, that's a big piece of it. Ruben, do you have a question for the chief? Well, uh, I wanted to ask with regard to hires, uh I'm sure there's a, if there's a citizen hearing this podcast, they may wonder, you know, I'm a 2-year uh military veteran, uh but in high school I did some dumb things and like the military really like helped me to like gain character and become the person I am today. Are you able to maybe expound upon like how the department looks at a background check? I mean, if somebody was in trouble earlier on in their life, but has clearly done things that show a change of character or who they are now, does that come into consideration? Absolutely. I, I think it's important to note that if you uh, if you have a felony on your record, it's going to be an automatic disqualifier um, in just about every case. With that being said, um, we were all young once, and if we're going to if we're going to make uh, lifelong implications about the way somebody acted when they were fourteen or sixteen or eighteen or sometimes even into their early twenties. I don't necessarily know that that would uh, be fair, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's the the most healthy way to approach uh, bringing in a diverse workforce. Uh, you know, diversity is in in our work environment is not just about you know uh, gender or race; it's also about life experience, and we we need officers that have uh, a lot of varying uh, life experiences because. When when you work as an officer and you're out on the street, it, you're dealing with people in crisis all day long and uh, people that are, um, maybe they have broken the law, maybe they're stuck in some circumstances that uh, they didn't ever expect to find themselves in. But you have to have officers that have understanding, uh, empathy, and compassion. And so, we, you know, again, you know, we, we do the right thing for the right reasons. We want to make decisions that are going to help solve problems. Uh, that and oftentimes that doesn't involve uh, making an arrest. So, uh, for those candidates that maybe ha- have some questions, uh, you know what? We, I would still encourage you to apply if this is something that you feel uh, that you are really passionate about doing. And a lot of times, people that have made mistakes when they were younger are, become some of our our best officers because, you know, they had somebody that, that helped them out, that, you know, gave them an opportunity and showed them that, uh, you know, one, one or two mistakes does not, uh, you know, that doesn't, you know, create our identity for life. So, yeah, and demonstrate, so so military, you know, military service, uh, work, work experience, all these things that demonstrate uh, maturity, a commitment, uh, school, yeah, college. Yeah, all these things, and, and 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 so if you have some time where you've separated yourself from those types of activities, and and uh, yeah, have shown that you've learned from your mistakes, then then we can always make uh, uh, I think good hiring decisions based on what we what we see in those investigations. Yeah, and to elaborate a little further, you know, 
that's why the chief was talking about it. it is a very lengthy process as far as doing a background check and uh, it's that personal growth right you know there's always it's case by case scenario if you've done something pretty violent or whatever you know there's a likelihood that we can't move past that but you know if you've made some mistakes and it's something that you know you acknowledge and, and you have that personal growth and you've moved forward with your life and whatnot and taken the proper steps absolutely you know like he said there, we've we've all come from different backgrounds and experienced different things and done different things and it's whether or not you've moved forward from that and willing to ex accept it take personal um, ownership of what you've done extreme ownership of what you've done and uh, and move forward to be a better person so it's pretty interesting, especially I've done several background checks now and just seeing, you know, the different walks of life and how we all come together to to form our police department and, and serve the city. And I think it's also important to understand um, that the merit board is the one that makes all of the final decisions, correct? And that's comprised of citizens, correct. right? Yep. So yes. people that kind of understand, you know, the outside perspective of the uh, of the police department that people make mistakes. Well, not only that, I, yeah, the, and the, and they, they look at it from a different point of view. I mean, kind of like you guys. That's why I think it's so important that you guys are here on the podcast because I don't want it to be just please, 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 please. Because I feel like we definitely have a common view and and mindset on things, and you guys bring a different view as as you know non law enforcement officers and. That's the way our community is. That's the way the world goes around. And so to have those civilians on the merit board look at them, interview them, and bring it, bring their uh, thoughts and views from a totally different different perspective ensures that we're choosing the right candidates, right? So just in case we miss something or whatever. May I say, by the way, we, my family and I moved here in 2011 from another slightly larger Midwest city. I don't want to name it because what I'm about to say is that when we moved here, we were calling people and where we moved from and kind of bragging about the fact that it felt like a city where you could walk in just about any neighborhood with your kids at night and not be worried. Uh, that safety factor means so much to people that are good people that want to move to this town, are attracted by the jobs. Uh, so I have to say that, like, you guys have achieved a, I think, what, I don't maybe a synergy where the job market's here to attract good people, but you're providing a sense of safety that, like, it's only going to continue to build. I think those numbers uh, will hopefully continue to trend the way you want them to, but I'm happy to be a part of this community as someone, a parent of children. I'm, I'm thankful that I live in a community where my kids can grow up in the profession they choose there's job opportunities where hopefully when my wife and i are retired our kids are uh, raising families of their own in a safe healthy community and i think by achieving what you guys have achieved it's clear that it makes it easier to maintain you know and i, I feel bad for communities where that crime number has gotten to the point where good people are moving away or are afraid to move there uh so we really as as a member of this citizenry, I want to say I really appreciate the work that you guys have done because it makes this community viable for us, not only for me to be here, but to raise my children and hopefully have them stick around. 
Yeah, right. we, we appreciate that. What were you going to say, Sean? And I think that has to do with um, part of the accessibility, too. Like, you can hop on next door and talk to a police officer in your neighborhood if there's something that's, you know, concerning. Just the amount of outreach and, and the ability um, that the LPD has made themselves so accessible, I think, aids to that that feeling of, of safety and being able to, you know, walk around with your kids at night and not feel like um, you're in danger. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a few topics there that we could definitely touch on. I know that for myself, I've been here all my life, so I'm kind of, I'm just used to it, you know. And, unfortunately, I think sometimes I take it for granted just because, again, that's all I know. Um, Because I have family that lives in a different state and whatnot, and I remember being there and, they literally, while we were there during the day, had the doors locked, garage door closed, and I almost felt like a prisoner in the house. And like, well, I mean, crimes happen during the day here, and I'm like, but that then they come and visit us a year later, and I got my garage door open, and you know, it's the middle of the day, and they're like, your garage door's open, yeah, I know, and it'll probably be like that all day long, you know, and, and so it's it is pretty awesome. So we do appreciate your support, and uh, but it, it's not just the police. I mean, I would like to say that. It, we definitely uh, appreciate it, and we'll continue to work hard. But it's everybody. Again, it takes the citizens. It takes our, uh, you know, from the mayor down to make a city thrive like that and, and operate like that. Yeah, I mean, and I, just to touch on what Sean said, I think that's really kind of important, especially for people that are listening. That the the platforms that are there now, which I think I think you know, not to toot our own horn, but I think we've done a pretty good job with that to to communicate with the public. Because as a lot of agencies in this country are starting to evaluate their resources and how they deploy those, um, that's changing. That mindset, I think, is changing significantly throughout law enforcement. So that opportunity that you just mentioned right there with Nextdoor and other social media platforms is a big deal. And for agencies not to utilize that to communicate daily with the citizens, that, that you're missing out. I mean, you're really missing out. Good point. Excellent point. Yeah, so make sure we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but that's a great point. But I will say, make sure you're on Twitter. I don't think Patty would have made that point. Instagram. Tell her that later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Nextdoor. Make sure you're signed up for Nixel. You know, we're on all those those platforms. So it has been pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think we just to kind of switch gears just a little bit, Chief, if you don't mind. retrospect 2018 and some of your thoughts on some of the big changes that, that that our agency went through you know would you mind kind of talking about that a little bit i know those are thoughts that you have yeah it's a, it's a perfect tie-in i think great segue you have a tremendous amount of growth in the last in the last 20 uh, years in our agency the last time and i haven't really been able to nail it down we were, i was looking back through our old annual reports the structure of the police department is three main divisions. You have your patrol division, which is always your largest part of the police department. Uh, you have, that's where all your patrol officers are. We work 12-hour shifts here, so we're looking at um, just over 90 personnel assigned to our patrol division uh, with uh, 18 officers per shift, which once we get our full staff up and once we get everyone hired, we'll have 20 patrol officers per shift. And then we have our administrative division, which is where uh, Ian and Brian are now. We've expanded that significantly over the last six years, really in an effort to uh, do some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, And then we have our uh, investigation division. Uh, That's where our detectives work, which is, uh, that's where Brian spent uh, 
several the last several years working on the criminal side of things, but we have criminal and juvenile detectives. Uh, they, they work both types of cases, but uh, it's just a way for us to uh, divide the workload and, and try to find the most effective way to uh, investigate and uh, do what we need to do on, on the at the police department. So what we've done in really kind of evaluating how things have been going, uh, how, how technology is changing the way that we do our job, we've we've created a fourth division in 2018, and. Uh, we're excited about what that's going to bring in 2019 and moving forward. That fourth division is is op what we're calling operations, and uh, we've we've spent a, a significant amount of time looking at this and and trying to really anticipate what the future of crime looks like and what the future of policing looks like and how can we position ourselves uh, well to be able to meet those demands that are that are coming down the pipe. Um, we, policing is a very service-oriented job. There's a lot of things that will always be asked and tasked to do, but it's also uh, a dynamic environment where things are changing. Uh, criminals are not static. Uh, they're using and taking advantage of new technology just like anybody else is. So we have to uh, be in a position where we can uh, uh, serve and protect in that environment as much as any other environment. So with that, our We've created a, a center in inside the police department. Uh, we're calling it our analysis and resource center. Uh, some some agencies refer to them as real-time operations centers, real-time crime centers. But inside of that center, we have a captain, a lieutenant, a sergeant, and a crime analyst that will be working uh, to look at data on a crime data and, and other sources of information on a daily basis. We'll use that information to make uh, real-time decisions about how we're going to deploy our resources. And really what we're looking to do is we don't, we don't necessarily want to call it predictive analytics or predictive policing. I think people have heard that type, that type of expression before. But really what we're going to be looking to do is to, is to just really identify what our core issues are uh, and then assign very specific tasks on, on how we're going to address those core issues. Some of it might involve crime, but a lot of it also involves uh, outreach and education. Um, if you think about things, one of the things, like for example, one program that we've done that Ian is very active in is uh, educating uh, the schools and workplaces on work and school place violence, whether it be active shooter response, uh, preventative measures, things that you can do. Uh, we will go on site and visit with your staff and and provide uh, an analysis of what we think the risks are and and give you suggestions for how you can mitigate those things. Why do we do that? Well, number one, we want people to be safe and we want people to have an idea what to do if, if, if they unfortunately should ever be presented with that type of situation. But for us, that is an investment uh, of time that we're hoping that will pay dividends down the road. It, it is a it's a value based decision for us. If we can do things that will prevent crime in the future, that saves us time. Um, and w one analogy I like to use in in that taking this type of philosophy, if if we can use technology and and leverage our human capital uh, with these resources and solve a burglary at twenty rather than at forty, then we've just 
we've prevented 20 people from becoming victims. It's not to say that we can prevent all crime because I think that's unrealistic and everybody understands that. But if we can reduce that victimization, not only have we prevented people from becoming victims, we've also saved time. Uh, that's 20 less burglaries that we have to investigate. And for us here, the, the question then becomes is what do you do with that time? Uh, now that you've saved it, what do you do with it? Well, for us, uh, we're going to reinvest that time into these value-based decisions. Look, that's what our analysis and resource center will be doing. And we've been experimenting with, a, I think it's probably a very unique way of policing for, for the last couple years and, and, and how we deploy resources. And so far, it's, it's, I think the results have been positive, and uh, we're, we're doubling down on that in 2019. So this is going to be an exciting year at LPD. I think what I love about LPD is that we're always trying to grow, look for new ideas, look for new ways, not only just, you know, in, in all aspects of our agency. And with that being said, I mean, we're afforded those opportunities, right? Because I know, unfortunately, a lot of police departments just don't have the resources we have. So we are very fortunate here in Lafayette to to have the resources to grow and, and try to get ahead of the game because – you know, policing is reactive, right? And so if, if we can be as proactive as we can, you know, to try to, again, get ahead of the, ahead of the curve, it's always a good thing. So I know I, it, in the last couple of years, it's just amazing what we what we do now, you know, the different things with community outreach and the operations center. It's been pretty awesome for me, so. You know, I, I think one of the things maybe we could talk to the chief about, um, you know, a lot of the citizens have probably seen the, the big change in our patrol vehicle design. They look a lot different now than they have before. It's a, uh, it's, it's one of the, what's the saying? What's, what's old is new again and what new is, is, is old. I don't know, man, I don't just totally just mess that up. The old black and white <laughs> came back. We have, yeah, there was, um. You know, over the over the the last couple of decades, we've gone through a few iterations of uh, police car design. Uh, we uh, LPD had an award-winning design in the mid '90s with uh, black and gold on the police cars, and a lot of people associate uh, the policing with um, black and white police vehicles, and it's kind of a it's kind of a traditional look and i think we just wanted to put a modern look on a on a traditional look we uh, love our association with purdue university uh, a lot of us are purdue graduates that work over here uh, and the city of lafayette obviously our our roots here are are embedded in uh, the marquee de lafayette and his influence on the on the uh, development of the city so we like the we threw that Florida Lee in there, and and I think it's just to I think cement that that vision of of, of Lafayette into our design. I personally love the design. Maybe just because I had a little bit to do with it. I'm and being let, biased. I'm being be biased. Honest, I'm not gonna lie. Let's be honest. A lot of us are Drew Brees fans, and uh, <laughs> we're big. Uh, you know, now that the Colts are out of the playoffs. I think we'll there'll be a big uh, big big push for the Saints to win another Super Bowl and hopefully uh, our man Drew Brees can bring it home for him. Yeah, the design I I love the the black and white squads the it was just just neat. What do you think, Tom? Do you like it? 
Uh, well, they're all-wheel drive, right? SUVs. Yeah, so that's good for mm-hmm. our current weather. I mean, I think that's a very practical investment for, so our officers can get around town. Correct. Yeah. And that's what we're moving towards, right, Chief? We're going to go to eventually all SUVs? That's the plan. And it's uh, there's a lot of thought that gets put into that. And, uh, yeah, that's a great point, Tom, because the uh, we still do have some of the old uh, Crown Vicks around and, uh, you know, there's not too many of them left, but and we'll, they'll be cycling out most likely this year. But a rear-wheel drive vehicle is is very challenging to get around the snow. And I can think of a few times over the over my career where we couldn't, where we were pretty much stuck in, in big snowstorms. And that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, and so this is – it's one way to mitigate that. There's a lot of other things and a lot of other really practical reasons why – uh, the SUV is a much better fit for for your police officer, just uh, just in terms of gear, uh, wear and tear on the body, just getting in and out of the car, space uh, space for uh, prisoner transports. Uh, there's a lot. We're, we ask police officers to do a lot of things uh, in the in the course of their daily uh, jobs, and that requires a lot of a, a gear and equipment. So having the space to carry that as well is is um, also important. Tom, I feel like you dodged the question. Do you not like the police wrap, the new wrap? Do I not like the new the new yeah vehicles? the wrap? Yeah. Do you like the design? The oh, no, design. I think they're oh, okay. outstanding. All right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great <laughs> having all wheel drive, um, giving them more space to do what they need to do, whether it's gear in the back or um, just up front where they sit, if there's more space there too, I think it's a great decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of times back on patrol when we would double up because you couldn't get around in the crown vicks you know when it was snowing really bad and we only had a handful of suvs so it's definitely a game changer as far as being able to delegate more resources out on the street versus versus having to double up and have so many so many vehicles but yeah it's just just a better workstation for patrol officers out there too so much more room space Mm -hmm. that's huge and that's a great point um and that's one of the changes that's that's evolving in law enforcement 20 years ago uh we didn't have laptops in our cars that was the beginning of that era and and so a police officer would they carried notebooks and you wrote everything down in your notebook and then when you were done with your call you that when you had time, you came back to headquarters or to uh, a substation. We've experimented with substations in the past as well. And then you sit down and you type your reports. When I first started, we were still using typewriters. And so, um, thankfully, we quickly evolved into uh, PCs and the world of world pro- word processing. And we've evolved significantly since then. And, that's, and that kind of takes us to where we are now and the evolution of our operations center. But... A police officer, when they're in that car, people need to understand that that's their office. That's their working environment, and, that's, and they're there for 12 hours a day. And so it, it, it's important for us to remember that and what we're asking them to do. So we, we should make it a priority to make sure that they're comfortable uh, and that they have everything that they need uh, for, the, for the things that we ask them to do. So with that being said, uh, I'm, again, constantly telling people that you know, we're very fortunate. We have the best equipment, you know, so we can do the job to the best of our abilities. So we have the body cams, we have the cameras in, in squad cars. Is there any other, is there any other items or tools that we're looking at moving forward that 
to help us police even better? Is there anything else out there? Well, I think one of the things that we're looking at is uh, technology, technology in the form of uh, analytics and what do you do with information? How do you process it? And that's, that's going to, again, a big part of the, uh, the ARC, the Analysis and Resource Center. Uh, we're really excited about some of the things that we've done over the last few years. One of the things uh, we haven't talked about yet are body cameras. Uh, we use body cameras and in-car cameras. It was a great move for us in a lot of ways because it, it allows us now to be a little bit more efficient. Um, we can capture some great video and evidence for things that officers are doing, but we can also use uh, all of that data that we're capturing uh, to learn more about how we actually do the job, uh, how we can improve our performance, and uh, and with the introduction of technology like AI and machine learning in the future, we're even going to become more efficient with the, the use of this technology by being able to automate things such as report writing and, and, and other tools where, uh, you know, the goal would be to reduce the officer's administrative time in upwards to 50%. And that goes back again to what we talked about earlier. If we, what do we do when we save time and we make officers more efficient? Well, we reinvest and we double down on, on these initiatives and these efforts that we've, that we've uh, implemented over the last three years. And I, I'm really excited about uh, the impact that that's going to have on public safety and our, and our ability to uh, 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 really provide a great service to our community. Yeah, I think the camera's definitely been a game changer. I know, I know that. And just to be really honest, at first I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about a camera being on me 24-7, you know, just for the mere fact of accidentally keeping it on when, you know, you're doing something personal. But uh, I, I think they've been... Mean, a, like using the restroom? Like maybe using the restroom or talking to your wife or whatever, but uh, which has happened, correct? Well, I'm just saying personal LT, personal stuff. But... Um, you know, it's definitely been a game changer. I'm, I'm very pro cameras, and I'm interested to see, you know, moving towards the future if, you know, they'll be able to, as we're talking to somebody, scan somebody's face. I almost guarantee we're going that direction, right? We can scan their face and buy the camera, and then it tells us, or maybe dispatch tells us who it is. Or do you see that, anything like that coming in the future? That All that technology is being researched right now. Oh, I'm sure. Yep. I'm sure. Um, it's coming, and... Um you know, I think it, it's also I, I, when whenever you start talking about technology like facial recognition and uh, drones, uh, uh, even the the it, the cameras being everywhere, being on the on the police officers, it it does raise uh, some concerns in the public about um, you know privacy, which I think all of us should uh, be. You know, we should safeguard our privacy, and we should hold that very near and dear to our hearts because I think once you lose some of those privacy uh, your rights to privacy, you, you, a lot of things can fall with that. Uh, and we're very cognizant of that here. So when we look at new technology, I mean, that these are we don't just do it uh, willy-nilly. We definitely look at uh, what the impacts of, of the technology might have. Um, but like you said, that is the future, and it's coming. So it's some, a lot of times it's, it's uh, managing it in advance is, is just as important as implementing it once it gets here. So we are uh, – that was another exciting project that we're going to be working on in, in 2019 
uh, with uh, facial recognition technology. Uh, we want to be able to uh, automate uh, some things inside of our facility. So we'll be looking at when, when uh, uh, people come in and enter the facility, we'll be doing a, a facial scan of them. If, if that face is someone that's uh, allowed to be on our premises, then uh, it's almost like a fingerprint or, or a retinal scan. It'll, it'll, it'll be able to passively monitor the workplace to ensure that people who are in our workplace are, are supposed to be there. Um, because as a police department, we have things like that we have to monitor, CJIS uh, and NCIC requirements, which are basically the protection of information. Um, and, and because we do have access to sensitive information in the state, uh, we get audited by the state every year. We get audited by uh, the FBI uh, on a regular basis as well. So they come in and look to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to safeguard information. So that'll be one way for us to do that. Uh, we have plans to, um, to uh, use that technology to uh, also look for people that might be wanted on warrants. Um, and, and, you know, I think uh, maybe looking at uh, ways to uh, keep um, public areas safe from maybe uh, violent sexual predators, uh, sex offenders. Um, and I, I think uh, just common sense ways that I think that, that added a, a layer of security for all of us that I, I think uh, is, is exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's going to be, again, like you said, it is coming. It's just a matter of when. And, I mean, we're constantly getting, you know, when somebody commits a crime, we have video of it, we have pictures of them, but the, to be able to have that technology of it to scan the face and tell us who it is is, is in that near future. Well, drone technology is another one that people are um, – uh, I was going to ask. I think that, yeah. we, I know we're excited about it. We uh, we have partnered with the uh, Lafayette Fire Department in in starting a drone program. We've been researching this technology for about three years. Uh, we've just wanted to wait to see how it was going to evolve. I think the technology has has been really good, uh, and it's only getting better. And uh, we just kind of wanted to take a wait and see approach to see um, what best practices were going to you know unfold. And, and how to do that, but I think we feel really confident in what we've developed here and that we have uh, uh, four larger drones and two smaller ones. Uh, they're DJI drones. Uh, with our larger drones, we can put uh, FLIR cameras on them and optical cameras uh, that will allow us to fly them uh, during daytime and nighttime hours, uh, be able to look for missing people, be able to search large areas, and really, if you think about it, like um, large metropolitan areas that have air units, uh, helicopters, there's a lot of things that we can do with a drone that uh, agencies that have helicopters will use their helicopters for, in, uh, at, but at a significantly uh, lower cost. And, and so uh, we're in the, in the process right now of finishing up our training for our pilots. All of our pilots will go through FAA training. They'll be trained to the highest standard uh, to, uh, you know, to ensure compliance with, with uh, and this is something that we thought a lot about because we're in such close proximity to Purdue and the airport. Uh, the last thing that we wanna do is, uh, is create a, an unsafe environment for uh, our flying partners. So, yeah, we're really excited about that in 2019. I think maybe we can follow up 
with this in a, in a few months to uh, to talk about it. But yeah, be, being able to implement that drone program into things like Project Lifesaver and I was just thinking the others. same thing. Yeah, yeah. to be able to cover that kind of ground and look in spots would be worth its weight in gold. I mean, I've again plenty of times where we're all looking for somebody, whether it's a, a suspect or the Project Lifesaver where somebody, because some of those individuals, they really like water, right? And they're afraid that they'll they'll go straight to water. And so to be able to cover that ground and find them a lot quicker before they hurt themselves or something worse is Silver pretty alerts. amazing. I think people are Silver I think alerts, now, yeah. you know, the general, people that are signed up for Nixle and things that get those notifications, yeah. another plug for social media, Nixle. If you're not signed up, you should. But when we do have elderly folks that go missing, uh, especially this time of year, in really bad weather conditions, it's, uh, you know, minutes can uh, can sometimes be the difference between life and death. So uh, every every advantage that we have, uh, I think, is, is it's great. It's a great service. So anything else you want to cover as far as 2018? Anything we missed? No, I think um, – we, we probably have to go part two, otherwise we'll be here all day. I, I'll, I'd be happy to sit here and talk all day with you guys because I love uh, I love talking about um, I love talking about our agency, all the great work that our police officers have done. I think that would be the last thing that I want to say is is thank you to the men and women of of our police department, um, sworn and civilian, uh, for our IT support. It, it really does take a, a team to make things go. And it's we're fortunate to work in a place where everyone does work together, and that makes that makes a huge difference. And our, our police officers are out there every day um, because they want to be. They they've asked to do this job. It's a difficult job, and they understand that. And they've accepted that. Uh, they've accepted the risks that come with the job, and they do it proudly. And you know we're not, you know. Uh, we're, we're part of this community just like anybody else. Correct. And, you know, yeah. we're not looking for any special favors or anything like that. We just uh, we just like the opportunity to serve alongside with our community members, and uh, I think 2019 is uh, going to be our best yet. To throw another, another uh, plug in there, you know, I am truly proud to be a part of this agency, very proud to be a police officer, and we are hiring. So if you want to be a part of that as well, please fill out your application and uh, get that turned in, and we'll be in contact with you. So I don't think I can stress that enough because we are looking for good men and women to be a part of this agency. So uh, we kind of recap 2018. Again, I, I know just, we touched. Just real quick. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if Sean or Ruben or Tom has any questions for the chief. Or Tom, anything. you've been quiet today. We covered buddy. a lot of material today. And yeah, Tom has been very quiet today. Uh, well, got to turn that mic on, buddy. Here we go. <laughs> I, I did want to say um, we talked about hiring and retention um, earlier. And, um, you know, sometimes we lose police not to retirement, um, but um, sometimes they pass away. And so I just wanted to maybe dedicate. Today's episode to Officer uh, Bill Millick, who passed away on Christmas Day. Um, you know, I'm more on the IT side of the house. I'm a civilian, but I know he's someone that everyone in the department uh, could look to as an example. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think the first podcast of 2019 and, and honoring the memory of, of Bill is uh, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. 
I've known Bill for a long time. He and I actually worked together before we were even police officers. So uh, just uh, the, he was the type of guy that would he would give you the shirt off his back. You know, I mean, he, he definitely was uh, – there was a bunch of selflessness there. I mean, he, he would always help anybody else before he would ever worry about himself. So he will be missed. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not really good in, in those kind of situations and in these conversations, but honestly, he will be missed. And – and yeah, so we'll miss miss that sense of humor. But he's one of those guys that uh, we would have had to have dragged kicking and screaming onto this podcast. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, he, he that, again. I mean, he's just the type of guy that uh, you know he's gonna he was gonna do his job and, and and do it well and and go home. He was very very proud to be a police officer. But on the same token, like he he didn't want any you know he didn't want to be in the limelight. He didn't want to. I guess he's not you know like me. I like to be in the limelight. I'm just going to be he, honest. He would have been a lot like me during my first one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, we need good men and women that are willing to go out there and do the job, be proud of it, and and, and go home at the end of the day. So, But, uh, yeah, he will be missed for sure. And so we will dedicate this podcast to him. So thank you for, for bringing that up, Tom. Um, so any other questions on 2018? No, no. I know you touched on some things in 2019, sir, but anything else you want to add as far as moving forward to this year? Anything that I know, obviously, the operations center, is there anything else you're excited about or looking into? Or, Well, I think Tom uh, made a great point, and, uh, you know, I think if we could find uh, – we're anticipating that we may hire anywhere up to 8 to 11 police officers this year. That's that's a lot, and if we could find uh, eight to eleven more uh, uh, people that have the character and integrity that Bill Mellick had, then uh, that would be a win for us. And I, I will say, if uh, you know, with that in mind, you know, you know, one of the one of the concerns that we have as police administrators around the country is that uh, law enforcement no longer is one of those professions where people are encouraged to go, uh, not to the extent that it used to be. And I would, I would really ask people to rethink that and to really kind of question where those sentiments come from because uh, we are uh, one of the, the most important uh, segments in a community is public safety. And we need the best people being willing to come do this job and, and uh, in our swearing-in ceremonies, I talk about it. Even even Plato recognized that that in in order to have a free society, you have to be willing to have those in that society that are willing to stand up for the individual rights and and to protect those freedoms. And it's a very the world of social media and in general, you know, politically speaking, there's a lot of divisiveness in our community, and people like to use uh, very short examples uh, for things that are actually extremely complex, and sometimes you can't do that, and that can have a negative impact. Uh, my, my concern would be that if we don't get the, the people of character and integrity in, in filling these jobs is that agencies will eventually begin to lower their standards just to fill positions, and then you have really big problems. Um, and that, that's, when, that's when things can begin to erode. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's a creep. It'll be three, five, 
eight, 10 years down the road where you really suffer the ramifications of that. So um, before, uh, before maybe you pass on the idea of being a police officer, uh, think twice about that. And uh, you, yeah, sure, you're, you're not gonna uh, become financially rich from doing this job, but I can promise you that you will have uh, a lifetime of richness in the fulfillment that you get from doing this job and knowing that you've made a difference in people's lives and that you in my opinion you, know, you can't put a price tag on it and that's i think one of those reasons where i feel very fortunate that i've been able to get up for these last 24 24 years come do my job be excited about being here and uh, you know you mix passion with purpose and and great things can happen. And I feel like we've got a great police department. If you're thinking about being a police officer, I would like for you to start here first uh, it, because I, we do have a lot to offer as an agency and uh, it's, a great, it's a great environment. It's a great city and. Yeah, and with that being said, you know, if you are questioning it or you, you, you know, you have questions and you're, you don't know who to go to, you know, reach out to us again, we have Instagram, Twitter, uh, we can put my email address on there. Feel free to shoot me an email. I mean, if you're serious about becoming a police officer, but maybe you have some, some concerns or, you know, just general questions before you do take that dive, because that application is not, it's not small. It's probably about what, I don't know, 30, 40 pages and that's lengthy. getting transcripts and getting it notarized and all that good stuff. So please feel free, because I, you know, again, you're working alongside of myself and my partners and I do want the best candidates here and also because my friends and family are in this this city and I want the best public servants we can find so I can't stress enough reach out to me if you're considering it uh, does anybody else have anything no chief I, having me yeah I really appreciate you taking here. out the time all the uh, all the work that you guys have done on the podcast it's been it's been fantastic and we're looking for a great year with the podcast too absolutely absolutely i know we all enjoy it and again we really appreciate you being here uh as far as 2019 since we're in there i'm a you'll probably get tired of me talking about this in the next couple podcasts but we will have the foot pursuit 5k run walk two it's going to happen on april 13th the morning of april 13th over at sia on the east side of the property they have a 5k course over there it's really really neat you go into the trees into the grasses over there it's uh, just definitely a unique course and people really enjoyed it last year but we had over 420 registered participants and uh, we had so last year we had the pull-up challenge and people rocked that out i was super impressed and it was so neat to see and since you guys did so well i'm going to change up the game and this year is going to be a kettlebell swing contest and uh the winners will be getting brand new kettlebells so i'm pretty excited about that but uh, registration will start february 1st uh, i'll be sending the link out on instagram twitter the city facebook right sean yep facebook um, instagram twitter so share it share it uh please and and you know really uh it's it's a it's a wellness event um because i am so uh passionate about being fit and nutrition what not fitness and nutrition but also um you know it's a good community outreach event to where our officers are out there running as well i want other agencies to come out we're more than happy to compete and see who can uh who can win that so that challenge has been thrown out there to any any agencies in the state or heck even outside of the state uh to see who can run the quickest 5k 
And uh, last and actually most important was the fundraising aspect for the Hartford House Child Advocacy Center. So uh, the ladies over there, they do an amazing job. If you don't know what that is, they uh, they take care or they interview children who were victims of crimes or have, have witnessed crimes. And, and LTI, I do want you to elaborate on that a little bit uh, here in a second. But uh, they can definitely use the money. Um, we raised $11,000 last year, and I want to double that this year. So if you're listening to this, please, you know, even if you're not av- uh, an avid runner, come out, walk the course, please register. The money is for an amazing cause. All proceeds go to the Hartford House. And we had a good time last year. I'm going to have a bunch of giveaways and uh, just have a good time. I have a bunch of great sponsors. So thank you to all of them. And again, I'll be posting all that on, on the registration page and whatnot. So uh, but if you could just talk a little bit, please, on, on the Hartford House and what they do, because you know more about that than I. Yeah, I mean, that, the Hartford House is designed, obviously, um, you know, with, with with the goal in mind of, like you said, you know, protecting the children uh, or a family unit of alleged crimes. And, you know, that, that interview process that takes place there and how important that is to um, not just the families, but, you know, the investigations as they move forward as well. Uh, and that's a collaborative effort, obviously, between law enforcement agencies and the prosecutor's office and obviously the staff at the Hartford House. But, yeah, that those funds that go – I mean, this this really is a tremendous, tremendous fundraiser. And those the proceeds that we generated last year was, what, over 11000 or right at 11000 11000 yes, sir. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I think we can easily double that this year. I mean – I don't want to set these high goals, but no, set them I, high, set I, them high. I, I like I, the challenge. I, I would like to be able to see us double that. Absolutely. Um, and then also, you know, the Hartford house isn't just for our County, it's surrounding counties as well. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Indiana state police, Tippecanoe County, obviously West Lafayette, Purdue, us. I mean, all, all those agencies, uh, utilize the Hartford house and, and it's, uh, it's a huge, huge part uh, of that process. But, um, just kind of wrapping up, I want to thank Sean for being here, Ruben for being here. Uh, we've really enjoyed having you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you uh, very Tom, much. you got to be a little more talkative next time. Just going to throw that out there. But. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll bring him some coffee. I wanted to say one last thing about the race. Like I said, and I, I said this before I started talking about it, you might get sick of it, but thank you so much to SIA, uh, Subaru uh, Automotive of Indiana, or Subaru Indiana Automotive, correct? Uh, LT used to work out there, didn't you? I did. He yeah. did. Uh, you know, it, I wouldn't be able to put on the event without them. They they provide me with a day, and and April 13th was the day. So I really appreciate that, and uh, it, it's going to be a great event. I really appreciate. I, I expect that. So uh, yeah. it's only because of the participants. So I appreciate it and sponsors. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chief. Everybody have a wonderful day. Hey, Chief. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Specialist Ian O'Shields and Lieutenant Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. On today's show, our guest was Chief Patrick Flannelly, who has been with the department for 24 years and as chief for seven years. We discussed accomplishments in 2018, the vision for 2019, hiring and retention, new technologies being implemented, and the department's new Analysis and Response Center. Production assistance provided by the City of Lafayette IT Department. You can email show ideas and questions to us at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. Join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, and Nextdoor. 
This episode is dedicated to Officer Bill Mellick and his family. We thank him for his extraordinary service to our department and community. He will be missed.